happy with that. Very fancy. That's the latest adva advancement since uh, yourself and Jared took last week off. I thought, oh, what'll I do here? We turn our backs for a week. All hell breaks loose. So our all-new uh, SIG tune for the uh, Friday football podcast. Is that what it's called? Good work, Adrian Barry. Well played. I do my best. Uh, Dave McIntyre is always alongside me. And special guest for the week, Colin Parkinson. How's it going? Going good. How are you? Very good. Uh, I was very tempted to record the conversation we were just having before uh, our SIG tune kicked yeah. in there. Yeah, no, we'll leave that. We'll really? Leave that. Yeah. It's basically to do with some of the uh, sanitation facilities in the in the office, which we hope will be a major improvement upon because we've been given instruction from upon high. Yeah, you see, Strongly you worded email. There, and that makes me just think yeah. about the toilet. <laughs> no, no, it's our kitchen facilities, yeah. but they will improve. We've got the heavies involved. Uh, speaking of improvement, it is our usual uh, Friday football podcast. Uh, we're week, what week are we in now? 23, 24? 20, week tw match week 25. Match week 25. This is our second of the usual uh, podcasts so um, let's make it a good one lads we're looking ahead to the games over the weekend uh, we have a couple of live games on Sunday as well and we'll tell you about those in a second but uh, first of all to uh, the Saturday lunchtime game Liverpool against Arsenal and reading some Arsene Wenger this week he's talking about uh, dominating Liverpool he says he wants to keep uh, possession um, against uh, Liverpool at Anfield it's the 12.45 kickoff. Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0 um, in London at the start of November it's a pretty sticky run of games that are on the horizon um, for Arsenal and this is kind of the, around the time that we all expect the wheels to come off. Yeah, James Lawton has a piece in the Irish Independent today saying this could be the defining chapter or one of the defining chapters of Arsene Wenger's career, February. They have to play Liverpool tomorrow, they have to play Manchester United on Wednesday and then they have back-to-back ties with Bayern Munich. It's an incredible run of games that they have to cope with over the coming weeks. Uh, I don't know if they're up to it. They did beat Liverpool pretty comfortably in that game, as you mentioned, Adrian, but Aaron Ramsey was on fire that afternoon and that was right in the middle of his incredible purple patch where he was the best player in the Premier League and he's been injured. Yeah. They've lost Theo Walcott as well. Giroud looks like maybe the week, the season's wear and tear is catching up on him. And Liverpool are very good at home. I think this is going to be the game of the weekend. It's, it, sh it should be absolutely brilliant. And I don't know what way to call it. There'll be a lot of players from other clubs watching this, particularly Tottenham fans, United fans, Everton fans, because they desperately need Arsenal to win this game. Yeah, you were at uh, Liverpool last weekend? Yeah, I was at the Hawthorns and they drew 1-1 with West Brom. They weren't great at all. It was a real... What's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't a lazy performance, but it certainly didn't have any of the sort of vigour that they've shown in recent weeks. They were 1-0 up and absolutely coasting. And it seemed like for once, because they have destroyed several teams this season, for once they just really weren't really bothered putting West Brom away. And then you had that comical mistake from Colo Torre, probably the defensive yeah. error of the season. Uh, John Anderson was in co-commentary with me and every time Colo Torre was on the ball and I was commentating, he just started laughing as he recalled the mistake that he'd made yeah. for the equaliser. So I think Liverpool will have been chastened by dropping those two points because they could have put Manchester United out of sight last weekend. Did, if they did, won the game they would have been nine clear. Did Gerard point that Torre to pass it over there? I thought we'd see, see I, the I think Gerard people are being unfair him. to him. And, yeah. and actually there was a, a defender as well uh, that meant he was unsided for an each beat. Yeah, no, I thought that was Gerard. Gerard turned Maybe around and Gerard, pointed yeah. across to so play he, it across you were the defending Colo Torre's passing of the ball directly to an opposition player on the edge of his own penalty. He Look, you'd have to think. Not, there's no one defending. <laughs> yeah. but you'd have to think he didn't do, like he didn't, like he's a clever enough footballer like whatever you say about his pace and maybe not the most fantastic defender in the in the Premier League but you'd have to think that he didn't you know consider that there might be an attacking player in that position he obviously didn't see him but definitely Gerard's back was turned to Anichibi he didn't Gerard didn't see him and he pointed at Toure to play it across the you know the penalty area well and my then, captain's told me to make this pass 
I can quite clearly see you need to be there, but I, I'm blaming Gerard. I've been told by Gerard I'm going to do it anyway. But look, this, aside from the goal, his performance was utterly woeful. He's the one player in the Liverpool team that's incapable of distribu- distributing the ball properly. And ultimately, when he had the ball, it would just lift it over the top. And you could see Suarez and Sturge getting more and more frustrated mm. by the crap ball that was being sent in their direction when the ball was at the feet of Colo Torre. He's got ball players in the middle of the field. He just needs to lay it inside to them and let them build from there. But look, we're ragging on Colo a little too much. He has He's the only player in the Liverpool squad with a Premier League medal. Yeah, Nobody else can say that. He's been gone for a while now. You know, he, <coughs> he came has. on a free transfer yeah. at City. He couldn't make, in, make it into the team. So he it, it wasn't a bad free transfer, but you're not expecting him to be, you know, in a starting back four that's going to you know challenge for the league or even the top four hmm. I think Arsenal will get at least a point they're unbeaten in their last seven in the Premier League they're actually going pretty well they've won five of their last six games and after that blip where they lost the two games to Chelsea and Manchester City over Christmas they've come back really well and they're still top of the table they we have. still aren't talking about them as real title contenders yet we've only we've got 24 games played and they're the first name at the top yeah of the but table. that's because Chelsea go and draw West Ham and then Man City go and lose to Chelsea it's not. I don't think it's so much a reflection of Arsenal's dominance as uh, just other things like Manchester City particularly everyone every every week it's right, Manchester City going to win this thing by 10 points and then somehow they managed to keep themselves I think they, they managed to make a race out of it themselves yeah I think that, well their away form wasn't great at the start of the season but they've turned that around a bit but then Arsenal have won, some, won 17 games and that's a Premier League record after this number of games so you know Arsenal would be batting with any team at the top of the league since the Premier Premier League began so I think they deserve a little bit of credit the bit I'd be concerned about is that they, they lost against Manchester United they lost they were hammered against City um, they lost against or they drew at home to Chelsea without yeah. playing that well the only decent team that they've beaten has been Liverpool and that was at home and to be fair they beat them pretty convincingly that night but I don't think Liverpool are in the, you know, the top kind of tier of teams so like this run for Arsenal you would imagine the wheels will come off. You know, yeah. the record against the big teams are not giving you the, is not giving you the confidence. You know, to think they can go through this run. You know, and put a run together against and the they're good missing ones. Matthew Flamini as well, which is a major loss in front of that back four, yeah, particularly with Suarez and, now, and Sturge there. Look, I think if Liverpool win this game, they'll only be six points off the top. And uh, Brendan yeah, Rodgers I mean, insisting that they're not title contenders. Yeah, but I mean, who, who, at some, who, at some stage, who is insisting? Who's insisting that Liverpool are title contenders? They've got Fulham next week. If they win tomorrow and they've got Fulham during the week, you never know where they'll end up. Yeah. If, if. They do have a lot of games at home as well, as Gary Doyle, I think a couple of weeks ago, was saying to uh, the you boys during the week well, that... All the big uh, teams at home, aside from Manchester United. Liverpool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool have, yeah. Um, I'm going for a home win here Dave you I think have I think I'm gonna go, your arse is firmly draw, on the I fence think. I think for what draw. you gathered it earlier on Colin. score draw I'd go for uh, Chelsea against Newcastle is our next port of call um, uh, Newcastle losing 3-0 to Sunderland uh, last weekend and then things just went from bad to worse because Joe Kinnear left the club it's an absolute basket case of a club but somehow they I mean right they're not realistic t- they're not title contenders in any way shape or form but what Alan Pardew is doing there it's pretty impressive. He's doing a really underrated job at Newcastle. They had a phenomenal season two seasons ago and right up until the penultimate game of the season they were in contention for a Champions League place. Aguilas came off a little last season they had to juggle a Europa League run as well and they just didn't have a big enough squad to do it and also Cissé went completely off the boil when he was just so spectacular when he arrived in January 2012. So he didn't really have anyone to fill the boots after Demba left and Cissé stopped scoring. This season they were hammered by Sunderland at the Stadium of Light or at St James's Park mm. and then they went on a run of games where they were beaten just once in nine they beat Tottenham they beat Manchester United and they beat Chelsea and they were just playing brilliantly 
and then they lose to Sunderland again and you do feel after signing nobody in the January transfer window losing Johan Kubai who was just having another brilliant season I think the wheels will now permanently come off on their season and they're going to finish in the bottom half of the table I wouldn't be backing them to beat anybody on a one-off game between now and the rest of the camp end, end of the season Yeah I think the trajectory tra- tra- trajectories you can edit that um, both <laughs> teams are on are completely different um, I think this could be a bit of a drubbing for, for Chelsea I can see them running amok especially the confidence is high like Willian he's a player who's really really impressed me and the Man City game was definitely a game where you just saw exactly why they lost Matt where they got rid of Matt yeah, yeah. just the work Willian does and he has quality in the last he's a machine well. he's a machine like to, to, to be that good and to have that work ethic is very rare and I know Oscar has it as well and you can really really see what Mourinho was explaining no one really wanted to believe it or agree with it but at the same time Mata can't produce performances like that he produ- he'll produce different performances but I think Chelsea are on it Chelsea clearly on a roll they're keeping clean sheets all the time yeah. now as well actually that's something we want to talk about and, and like even, well, even in terms of that Mata thing it's the Trapattoni aspect of stuff that we uh, know only too well about here if he's a player it doesn't matter how good he is if he doesn't fit the system good luck to you and it's yeah. clearly worked for me. It's Mourinho. just so unfortunate because we all love Matan. He's so he's yeah. such a good player. But Mourinho has it in his head that the three player, the three mid attacking midfielders behind the striker have to be have to work tirelessly yeah. and have to have a bit of a bit of pace and be able to dispossess players and you know create turnovers. And that's what these fellas are. You know they're unbelievable at doing. And that was just very obvious. You know that that's the type of player that he wants. But like I, t- I don't think I think Mourinho's going back. You know the way he talked when he took them over first. He wanted to play this expansive, you know, uh, possession football. Reverted, yeah. to type he's reverted now, back to type, yeah, a little, not as yeah. obvious, but pretty one and pretty close to, to it. Yeah, it, and he's happy enough to go and close up shop and uh, win Nick a goal on the break. And that's pretty much what he was like when he took over first. So he's going back to what he knows. He's going back to kind of four. Uh, well, he played four three three against Manchester City. I think he went back to that three midfield. Or Ramirez kind of dropped back into midfield. But uh, yeah, he's going back to kind of what he knows can get him to get him results, and that's kind of since they've started improving. It's obviously all based around, as you said, that uh, centre half pairing, probably in, in a great degree. And it wasn't that long ago that we were kind of talking about John Terry as a player whose days might be numbered uh, for Chelsea. Um, but the former Gary Cahill. It's phenomenal. He seems to be. Terry well, seems well, to be given nearly some life playing alongside him. Was it Kenny Cunningham a few weeks ago that was saying that uh, John Terry was only that good because Ricardo Carvalho was there and he was carrying him along? Basically, there's an argument that Gary Cahill is doing exactly that at the minute. That it's the the resurgence. <laughs> Give John of, Terry no credit <laughs> whatsoever. I'm not saying that. <laughs> to say, not, to well, say well, that well, Terry has been carried by Gary Cahill is I'll probably. I'll give you a Carvalho, but I'm not giving you Gary. Yeah, but he, look, Gary Cahill is a guy who it's, it's his. I think he's two years. Now, I think he came in the January transfer window 2012. He arrived in time to win the Champions League. Yeah, and um, he is 28 he's years of age. And now number he's, one he's in the form of his life. Yeah, and the way he played against Manchester City although like the midfield did such a brilliant job as Woolley was explaining through the work rate of Hazard and Willian and Ramirez Cahill threw in three or four last ditch challenges particularly in the air as well they defended so many free kicks from David Silva on Monday evening and it was Gary Cahill's head that was on the end of them all and he was just phenomenally good and I think you could play this game a hundred times Newcastle might nick a few nil-nil draws but they have zero chance of winning the game Yeah, yeah. Well, no teams have had any chance of beating Mourinho at Stamford Bridge is 72 games home games that is over phenomenal it's, it's mind boggling it really it's is that is like that there's been no like if you look at City was City was 62 something like that like that is just a phenomenal thing yeah. to do like that there wasn't one 
like off day or one blip or even well, when there was an off day blips, they managed for example to they should have been beaten by West Brom this yeah, season well, that they was a, a penalty and in injury yeah. time but yeah no you need a little bit of luck obviously for a record of sort that's of the as point. ridiculous even on the off days they still managed to get through it but um, they were obviously shown up by West Ham last week West Ham showed that if you go there and frustrate them you can leave with something but there's no way Newcastle will have the same discipline as Sam Allardyce West Ham had I'm going for I think I think the win over City will have taken a little bit out of Chelsea but still manage, uh, they'll still manage to win this one but not very much Colm uh, Chelsea win yeah home win uh, Norwich against Manchester City there's funny enough actually this week there's a lot of um, decent teams playing on Saturday but there's a huge amount of mismatches so obviously we're not even going to talk about uh, a prediction on this one a car road Norwich losing 7-0 at the Etihad earlier in the season the one thing for me rising out of this one is that I always presume that there was and, and and there is like a lot of depth in the, in the City squad there was no Aguero and Fernandinho against Chelsea and Di Michele has come in before we I don't want to leave the jury what's opinions on, on Di Michele he's, he's poor he's be, well he's past a sell by date yeah he's not he, he actually played that holding midfield role for Bayern Munich yeah. but he didn't look like he had any experience playing there no. the other night he looked out, he looked completely out of his depth but and they talk about the depth of the city squad, and then you lose now Aguero and Fernandinho. The, and the Negredo wasn't best, playing either. Best. They're th- they're three of the Premier League season's players. Yeah, Negredo started, did he not? Against Chelsea on Monday night, he did. I think he did. Him and Jacko started up front. When, when was he, he taking off? Do, he didn't do I much. Started, I, I recorded the first half, didn't bother watching. I watched the second half. I just watched the highlights at half time and Ivanovic's goal. But there was someone the great start of the game. When was he taken off in that game? He must have been taken. I have no taken recollection of him actually being part no, of. No, he wasn't. In, he wasn't really involved in the game. But him and Jacko definitely started up front. But it's just like when you talk about the depth. Fernandinho is such a good player, and Toure is like we all know. Um, Didi Hamann pointed out in match of the day that Toure is a bit lazy in midfield. Yeah. He loves getting forward. He was forward. mocked for doing so. Yeah, but it just exposed it so much how open City were in the midfield like, and mm. how easy Chelsea could hit them on the break yeah. and did no cover. And it won't they matter at, this weekend though. They looked at C. No, <laughs> no, it's not really going to matter. They might not need it. It's a Norwich team that were beaten by but Cardiff are, last week. Is that unfair on Dean McKellis in some ways? Because I think his role is slightly different from what it was at Bayern Munich. I think he, I think he was a bit deeper at Bayern Munich. And also, it's you know, Fernandinho and Yaya Torre have had obviously whatever it is, 23, 24 games to become like a, an unbelievable partnership obviously. But there's that gel and then all of a sudden you throw in Dean McKellis um, and he's not seen a lot of that's not a lot of partnership it gets a lot of time to breathe I don't know if and, and that's a lot of people are saying that that uh, Dean McKellis just isn't up to it well, he's, uh, but actually he's, his, he's his, his stats, were pretty, once was. stats were pretty decent the other night his pass rate was pretty good tackle count I think that the way Woolley expl- uh, explained the huge spaces when the ball broke Man City would have the ball deep inside the Chelsea half and before they know it it's four on three in favour of Chelsea. It was a four on one at one stage. It, that can't happen if you've got a midfield that knows what they're doing. Yaya Torre willing to drop back and Di Michaelis knowing where he should be positioned. But like I say, I mean their away form has just picked up dramatically since those real major blips at the start of the season that could give Norwich an absolute pasting this weekend almost as a you know a bounce back from from what happened on Monday night. What do you do if you're Norwich? Like they're uh, 24 points now, two points above their relegation places. Uh, going into a home game against a team that have thumped them 7-0 already this season. just dig in and try do? and get a point. Just hopefully get a point. But it's that the bottom half of that table is unbelievable. Two wins and suddenly you could be up to eighth place. Two losses and you're in the bottom three. So it's very, it's tricky for them um, down there. Like, you, you know, Loudrop's obviously um, on 24, or Swansea were on 24 points as well and he got the sack. Whereas, you know, Two po- two more points and he was up in the top half of the table. Six, Everything's six looking points rosy. separate the bottom ten. Yeah, that's and that unreal. is ludicrous. I've never seen a situation like that before. But no, City, City obviously um, f- 
for an away win. We're going City all the way and there. Predicting no, they'll your, know exactly what will have happened in the earlier game as well. They'll know they go back top if Arsenal drop points at at Anfield. Right. Uh, we also want to talk about. Uh, well, actually, by way of introduction to our next piece, just have a listen to this. But to be fair to John O'Shea, he did make up for it when he ran across to Adam Johnson and told him exactly the way he wanted the ball delivered for one of the Sunderland set pieces. And that led to uh, the goal for Key on the edge of the penalty area. It was obviously straight off the training ground. O'Shea was, wanted to make sure that it was in the mind of Johnson before he sent it across. And Adam Johnson, who got a hat-trick in the game, which is an absolutely astonishing occurrence mm. because for me, he's definitely the top five most overrated players in the history of the Premier League. Well, let's talk about the, the World of the Cup Premier now. League. Honestly, he's that bad. He's dreadful. Mm, maybe he's just about to come good. But he's like 26, isn't he? He's just about to go to the World Cup is what he's about to do because Theo Walcott is injured. I, I think we can uh, just fade that away there. And maybe come he's back about to, to come time. good. The prophetic <laughs> words um, of Jerry Gilroy. I, I don't think you, you can your, argue with I anything you your, that I said. your January player of the month, Adam Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he Sean, has been... unbelievable consistency in his last four games, scoring six seven goals. From seven. seven from seven. And two, with two or three assists as well. Player of the month. Uh, can either of you genuinely <laughs> find fault with anything I said? Yeah, he's a fu- you know he is a frustrating player, lads. There's no point. No, but Johnson. you're saying he's in the top five of the Premier League's most overrated players of all time. Like that is absolutely two massive transfer fees, and he. Ah, but you can't be- judge a player he's on the transfer fee. He's won a Player of the Month award, and suddenly he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't think anyone overrates him anymore. He might have been rated when he went to City, yeah. coming Was from it Middlesbrough. Seven, mil- seven million that that uh, Sunderland played, uh, paid for him. I think it was eleven million. Was it? It was double figures, and he has been really poor for Sunderland. You yeah. can't argue with the Martin fact O'Neill that since bottom. he arrived, he has been dreadful. Now, the last two months, six weeks, he's been incredibly good. Gus Poyet has seen something in him or brought something out of him that no manager he's ever played with in the past has been able to do. So, yeah, fair play to him. He's getting yeah. getting the goals and he's actually doing it every single game. So, I'm not so going to argue with that. So, you just said that he has no consistency and now he's doing it every single game. I think Poyet oh, For the last six weeks of his th- career. He's I been playing in the Premier League for six years. I think Poyet plays a 4-3-3 and maybe it suits him that he He's getting into more attacking positions because wingers, when it's a 4-4-2, Stuart Downing was player of the year for Aston Villa playing in a 4-3-3. So I don't know what That's it is. That's kind of remarkable these, himself. These ex-Middlesbrough wingers prefer these 4-3-3 he's, formations. He's lashing the ball into the back in there with his right foot. I've yeah. seen him live many times. It didn't look like he could stand on his right foot. Yeah. So everything is going his way at the moment. And more power to him. I'm delighted for him. This is uh, Sunderland <laughs> against uh, Hull City. I'll be hearing about that uh, clip, I presume, later on today. Yeah. Uh, Sunderland against Hull City at the uh, Stadium of Light. And... Like Gus Poyet, like you talk about his his move, and obviously much was expected of him, and he was this like uh, wunderkind at uh, City for a while, and it was huge things were expected of him. But Poyet actually says that when they brought him in, they thought, well, here's this kid coming from City, we'll give him the ball, and he'll put it in the net. And it's as simple as that. Obviously, Poyet wasn't there at the time, but uh, you need to put the structures around him. I suppose is the point, and then I guess the argument to what you're saying is in terms of consistency that it's only now since Poyet has arrived that they've realised that's the way to play him yeah probably is um, and the players around him are playing well Fabio Barini is proving a revelation over the last couple of months as well because he was injured when he arrived and he didn't really get a chance to put his stamp on things when he moved from Liverpool on loan and he's been brilliant for the last four games and they're just playing with a team that are oozing with confidence they were written off when Gus Poyet arrived when they'd signed sacked Acanio and they lost their first two Premier League games after he got there then a bit of a cup run really turned things around for them and suddenly they're up to 14th place and they're two points off the drop zone they're playing a whole team that haven't won since they beat Liverpool at the KC Stadium that real surprise 3-1 win 
and Hull are just in a bit of a rut at the moment despite signing the two prolific strikers well, Shane is, Long and uh, So Yelovich. Shane Long and Akitsi Yelovich make a really promising start uh, Long scores on his debut yeah, uh, Yelovich probably should have had a couple as well Guy you know a little bit yeah. about uh, yeah. Colin Murray <clears> not a huge fan I, I think was No but it's, it's actually incredible and it just shows what lack of confidence can do to a professional player when he came to Everton first I think he scored 12, 13 maybe 14 goals in, he came between at Christmas, January and between May. January and May in half a season and it was something like the statistics were incredible that everyone between his goals for Rangers and his goals for Everton, some, something like all but one or two were scored with one touch. So this was lad was just an assassin in the box, just outside the box, taking the ball first time in the back of the net. Suddenly starts his first full season and he scored two or three goal, early goals in the season and then it's all gone. And he went to something like 32 goals or 32 games with only one goal before Hull bought him and Everton made a million profit on him Like mm. so I don't know what Hull were doing he, he scored two goals in the cup and suddenly Hull came in with an offer and like Everton yeah. were never going to sell or to to uh, to turn that down because I thought Martinez might have sold him a little bit prematurely because um, Triore, the guy who's on loan from Monaco he wasn't even fit so we're left with just one fit striker in Naismith when Lukaku got, got injured but Everton couldn't possibly turn down like a million profit on a player who has scored one mm. goal in 32 games. And he's back to his same um, Jelovic with Hull. He's missed two or three really easy chances to get off the mark. And he's just frustrating because fans do like him. He tries, you know, he try, mm. wears his heart in his sleeve on the field. He never stops running, but he just his finishing seems to have deserted him. Be interesting to see as well for Shane Long over the next few weeks because he is one of those players that uh, gets a goal, gets himself involved in the action and he is the sort of fellow who can go on a bit of a run as well. So it'll be interesting. They need him. They've scored seven goals away from home in 12 league games this season which is less than any other team in the Premier League. So you're looking they're going to the Stadium of Light and they don't have far to go. They're not too far from each other but you'd, you'd struggle to see them winning the game. Whether they get a point from it who knows um, yeah I, I kind of think there's going to be a draw but the, the former John O'Shea is a big thing as well for Sunderland and if I was uh, that way inclined I could have played a cliff myself here saying that uh, the sort of damage he did to Philippe Sanderos uh, when we last did the regular Friday prog- uh, podcast um, a little bit off colour that day but a guy again who's sort of coming back into a bit of form and plus Gus Poyet seems to be I mean Lee Cattermole is another example Gus Poyet seems to have a bit of the magic touch about him isn't he uh, he wants rid of Cattermole I think he did he Why? tried to sell Why? him yeah, I, because I he keeps he getting sent off he's well, an absolute disaster he's sent off once since Poyet arrived you're a, you're a huge fan of Lee but Cattermole but look he's this guy he's, right he's this guy. and the game he got sent off under Gus Poyet but maybe that's what that was a need. horrible game to get sent off in he needed his he was captain ones, he, yeah. yeah it was one of the early ones it was it away to Crystal Palace or someone mm. that he should have been you know it was a bottom of the table clash when you need your captain and this fella gets sent off as usual yeah. and it's like I think he's an absolute liability and I wasn't surprised why um, Poyet wants you know wants rid of him I don't know that he does you see I'm not sure that he does obviously uh, Stoke were coming in with a decent offer for him and so they were going to look at that but he didn't Cannibal didn't play at all under the Canio and then all of a sudden he comes in and Poyet shows a bit of confidence in him and I don't think it was a coincidence that Sunderland's form started to turn around a bit yeah he's a bit of a menace but I mean isn't that what Sunderland need it is what you need but within reason like you know you, you can't if you're battling for relegation you don't want to lose Cannon who's going to get sent off uh, you know and let you down but their back four suddenly has taken a real strong look um, recently. Bardsley, three ex-Manchester United fellas, Bardsley, Brown and O'Shea. And like, that's solid. Mm-hmm. Do you know, so Sunderland all of a sudden look from going from no hopers whatsoever to like, you know, they don't look, t- they don't look too bad anymore. I'm going for a score draw, Dave. I think Sunderland will improve on their dreadful home record. They only won three times. It must be terrible to be a season ticket holder at Sunderland. Aside from the, the runs they've got in the, uh, in the two cups, I think they'll beat a struggling whole team. 
Colin? Me too, home win. Uh, just to skip through a couple of these other ones on Saturday, Swansea against Cardiff. I was listening to uh, John Giles last night and he was talking about the League Managers Association having a lack of balls because ultimately Swansea go and sack Michael Laudrup and their members should now say, well, until this is resolved in terms of uh, payoff of his whatever money he's owed, none of our members are going to manage the club. But of course... It being the League Managers yeah. Association. There's a lot of desperate out-of-work managers yeah, out there. Absolutely, yeah. um, South Wales Derby. I was at the first one at the Cardiff City Stadium. The atmosphere was incredible. Cardiff won by a goal to nil. Um, I, it's hard to see this. I'd, I'd say this would be a draw. A dour draw. Come. Yeah, I'll go for a draw as well. Yeah, neither team are really that great and neither are in great form. So if I Cardiff win it, they'll actually go level with Swansea on points which would be a huge boon for them goal difference is vastly inferior but it's there's so much at stake for Cardiff because they haven't won a game since Ona Gunnar Solskjaer arrived aside from that incredible win over Norwich last weekend which you think might just kickstart things for them and the signings will start to bed in now they've had a couple of weeks to get used to their surroundings if they went there and won it would really just ignite their season and drag Swansea right into it yeah, I actually think Swansea are going to win that one. Um, Southampton against Stoke. Uh, Stoke obviously flying high after the Charlie Adam wonder goal uh, against Manchester United the last day. Uh, Southampton, however, are one of those teams, the bottom of the that sort of mini table at the top. They are currently ninth on 35 points. And I mean, that's the biggest gap because Aston Villa back uh, behind them on 27. So eight points the difference. You'd have to imagine... Uh, Southampton win here or maybe I'm doing a disservice to Stoke who've proven they can beat Manchester United Stoke aren't great now when they're away from the Britannia Stadium to be honest and they could do with a couple of points but they've only won once away from home which is the joint worst record in the Premier League and Southampton are actually they've won two and drawn two of their last four games they're going to win this game Yeah Southampton playing pretty well at the moment I don't think Stoke will be able for them at St Mary's uh, Aston Villa against West Ham the big news out of this one uh, I've been trying to make sense of it over the last while and have been doing sort of backflips trying to uh, figure out exactly what it is that's going on but uh, there isn't going to be legal action over Andy Carroll sending off uh, against Swansea uh, the FA have upheld his three game ban for swinging the arm at Chica Flores the club has asked the FA to review the upholding of the appeal if you're still with me which is essentially a hearing about the outcome of the hearing which it looks as though it's the first time ever this has happened. Um, Sam Allardyce said today that, uh, or this week, that Flores is doing more damage by showing players that you can simulate diving to get players sent off and uh, asks the question. He says that it's worse, that's a worse situation, but uh, which is worse, the action of getting the players sent off or the action taken by Carl in the swinging of the, swinging of the arm? Colin? I don't, I don't think... Uh, Chico Flores, isn't it? I don't yeah. think his reaction was over the top because this is ah, Andy. Come on. Oh, okay, hang on. Typical oh, hang Colin on. Parkinson. No, 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 no. Look, hear me out. This was a good trade. I don't think Carroll meant to get him in the face because he, like, the height his hand was was only going to be in the chest. Mm. So he couldn't, he was completely unsighted but didn't see him. But still, it's a good swing of an arm into your face. Now, he rolled around and made a big deal of it, but I'm sure it hurt. I've seen players fall for less. You see, some players go face to face and get minimal contact and they're going down holding their face this was a an arm of a six foot four giant which probably did hurt him now he did he rolled around the place but there's no intent 
I didn't think from Carroll. Yeah. And if there was intent to maybe swing his arm back, it was only maybe to get him in the chest. There was no the intention there to get him. The problem that for me was that once he, so he made contact and then the arm came back and everything looked fine up to about 80% of that action. And then at the end, you could just see that he had actually forced his arm through a little bit and was looking directly at the referee. And I, I think those two things uh, went against him. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We don't have a huge amount of time to mull over. Uh, Dave, Aston Villa against West Ham. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw. Um, who's home? Aston Villa. Aston Villa win. Yeah, i go with that as well. Crystal Palace against uh, West Brom. Uh, Dave, just want to talk a little bit about West Brom's style here, if we can. They drew at Liverpool last weekend, a game that you were at, and that was uh, bouncing back from the 4-3 defeat at Villa before that. And I spoke to Stephen Reid on the podcast last week, and he was talking about the style that Pep ML is bringing to West Brom, and it's that uh, Pochettino-Southampton thing of uh, pressing high. You need, obviously, the players to do that. He doesn't work have the to some, Worked to some degree last week. No, though. it didn't. It didn't work at all. Well, they drew 1-1 um, Liverpool. They did draw 1-1, one, one, but the problems they had against Aston Villa were their, def- particularly Diego Lugano, who was the Uruguayan centre-half, who started at Villa Park. Villa were just lobbing the ball over the top and they couldn't deal with the ball in behind. Twice in the first half, once for Suarez, once for Sturge, the exact same ball was just lifted over the top. West Brom are playing so far up the pitch. They don't have guys in Jonas Olsen and Diego Logano or Gareth McCauley that have the speed to get turned and track down a runner once the ball is lifted over. And they could have been done a couple of times in the first half. They were very fortunate. Um, we all, we've already mentioned Colo Torre. He gifted them their equaliser. They don't seem to have a game plan. John Anderson couldn't figure out what they were doing. Working extremely hard. So pressing West high Brom up. don't seem to have a game plan. No, is it just that? The, is it that they actually have a game plan, but the players don't really know what it is? Like, I mean, Pepe Mal. Well, does maybe seem to have, that this, could be this it. What Stephen Reid offensively said to us that they didn't this is what really seem to, to know what the game plan was. Yeah. They have Yusuf Malumbu and Claudio Jakob, the Argentinian midfield, and they they really did well last weekend. They made life very difficult for Liverpool to the point where Liverpool started to get frustrated in the second half. But overall, they're going to have to start finding some way to score goals. They lost Lukaku obviously at the end of last season. They've sold Shane Long. Anelka's injured at the moment; it could be out for a few weeks. All that leaves is Victor Anichebi or Saidi Berahino, who's more of a wide attacking player yeah. I can't see where the goals are going to come from to keep them up and they are right in the midst of the relegation battle they're only a point off the bottom three and I think this could be a struggle for them because the team that they're up against are one of the teams that make life so tough for you when they're at Selhurst Park and Crystal Palace Palace's defence has improved an awful lot since Pulis took over and he's you know proven that organ- a bit of organisation goes a long way and I agree with Dave West Brom have nothing up front and each of be he was like third choice Everton striker fourth choice he's not going to get you enough goals he's a big strong player who needs another striker with him you know to get the best out of him because like he is so strong and very good at holding up the ball but he's not prolific enough I think that goal last week that was gifted to him was his first goal for West Brom so he's not really scoring for them um, I was gifted to him. He still had a still, oh, a, very, yeah, yeah, still a good finish. He but took it brilliantly. Yeah, he did take it. He took it very well, but it was a shot from outside the box. He he hasn't been scoring for them, and that like, no, he's not a prolific goal scorer. No. His his Premier League grade is one in every eleven games. Yeah, so you know so you're not going to expect anything from too much from him. Right, let's let's move this Palace have won five games at home this season, which is only one less than Manchester United, and that could well be enough to keep them up at the end of the season. I'm going for a draw, Dave. I'm going to go for a home win. Carl? I'll go with a draw after all that. <laughs> <laughs> Nil all, obviously. Yeah, our two games on. On Sunday, Tottenham against. By the way, I'd say that Negredo played an hour the other night. An hour? I've had a research team on it. Wow. Uh, came off after. I really wasn't f- paying attention 57. there. 57. Hour two games on Sunday, Tottenham against Everton. White Hart Lane from half one. Uh, Paul McVeigh, the former Norwich in Northern Ireland. Uh, Ford will be alongside Mark Scott there. We watched a montage of his Premier did, League yeah. goals during the week. This guy was a sensation. Yeah. He skinned John O'Shea. I think that was, that was around the time that John O'Shea was excellent. Uh, yeah, two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, that brief time. Um, yeah, 
I mean, no. In fairness, it was like four minutes of the best things he's ever he's ever done. But there were a good few goals. Yeah, you know, he was. Goals. I did, wouldn't have remembered Paul, but um, yeah, he's making his news talk debut on Sunday afternoon. Um, this is, could be a really good game. Two teams that love to play football the right way. Martinez against Sherwood. I'm going to go for like a two-two draw. Cool. Yeah, uh, two, two. Well, it'd be a. It'll probably be a score draw as well. Um, both teams need a win to be honest. The draw isn't too isn't much good, so both teams will go for it. Sherwood's going pretty attacking, and Martinez only knows one way to play, and that's attacking. The, the Everton's last away game, obviously against Liverpool, would knock the confidence a little bit, but and with Lukaku out, it's not ideal. But I still think Tottenham aren't the finish article either. I think Everton are capable of getting a draw. Uh, Spurs, in the same way that Fulham look to be the standout candidate from those teams at the bottom to go down Spurs look to me to be one of the standout candidates not to get the Champions League places <laughs> you were you were at uh, the Villa game column last weekend what did you make of the uh, the Martinez plan? Um, Everton very poor in the first half they were shocking actually um, they went one down to be fair Villa were, were even worse if that's even possible Everton had no life about them in the mm. first half they had no real shape they played Morales really up. missed Lukaku don't they? really did Cause, like, when you mentioned shape he is the glue like yeah. he's the spearhead on that shape yeah. that Martinez has tried to put on them in this season. And he played he played Morales up front and Morales he pushed has Osman ex- up a bit. I think didn't he? Was that was that the, sort of the catalyst for how things started to turn a bit for them? Osman kind of stayed. Yeah, he, well, he brought on Naismith. That was the catalyst, and he put uh, Morales back out into the wing and maybe put, played Osman off Naismith. And Naismith's a striker, and he Morales is a bit lazy when he's a striker. Like he didn't make any you know honest runs. He was looking. He was just hanging around. And when Naismith came on, you know, he, he'll run into the channels and he'll, he'll have a lot more movement. So there was more options. Morales was on the wing in his best position then and Osman pushed that little bit forward because Osman started in a wider position and he can't play there either. But um, we'll have Coleman back for this uh, Spurs game. His hamstring injuries cleared up. McCarthy was outstanding against Aston Villa, especially in the second half. Martinez is such a brave manager. He took off... Um, who did he take out? Oh, John Stones and brought on Naismith. So he brought on a striker for a right back, put McCarthy back right back and just completely transformed the team into a much more attacking um, outfit. I think he, he just went with three at the back and Everton just took over the game completely. In so the McCarthy was playing as part of a three at the back? Playing on the right side of, of a three at the back. And not many managers do things like that. Mm. You know, it's, it's always offensive substitutions. He's such a positive manager and like the Everton players are certainly, you know, they're, uh, they're reacting to that. They're only three three and two points respectively behind Liverpool heading into this weekend's game. Well, this the Farsal win tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This game is absolutely massive on Sunday and off the ball. It really is. It they'll be... either be going level with Liverpool, Everton potentially, or there'll be huge pressure on both teams because Liverpool will have gone six clear. Obviously, the game could end in a draw tomorrow, but either way, this is just huge. It would be a massive lift if Everton were to go above Liverpool tomorrow considering they were absolutely dismantled at Anfield. Mm. And it's strange the way it works, mm. you know. Yeah, will they win, Everton? Um, I think it'll be a draw. Yeah, okay. score draw two, two all, three all possibly. The goals anyway. Going to go for an away win. Uh, Sherwood is still tinkering with that. He started with four four two, and he started tinkering into various other formations. He's um, been playing Adebayor up up front on his own. So well, relying on Adebayor as well is not a good good place to be. No, probably not. But at home, he's been sticking with the four four two. I think. I think it's when he goes away, he's going with just one up top. I'm going to go for an Everton win here. Manchester United against Fulham is our other game on Sunday. You're at that, Dave, alongside uh, Stephen Reid. Yeah. I was looking at Dennis Irwin on the Satanta Sports Central Highlights Programme. Amazing programme, by the way, if you get a chance to check it out. Um, Dennis Irwin saying that United... He uh, works on it. <laughs> uh, United not beating Stoke was down to Stoke. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like United not winning a game was down to their opposition to begin with. And Stoke, secondly... 
I just don't. I just don't like. How, how, do how far have United fallen that them not winning that game was down to Stoke? Like they've whatever. Fallen, traditionally, fallen whatever, pretty far, Adrian. Like whatever Stoke traditionally would have done, it wouldn't have mattered. No, well, at the Britannia, there would be an argument for saying, you know, that that they can pull out. They beat Chelsea there this season. Possibly for a draw, but not for a great atmosphere in that stadium. Yeah, they drew at City as well. Look, on the face of it, this Britannia stadium has always been a, probably the most difficult place outside of the top six have, have teams you done the games there? To go there always seems it's to be an, an unbelievable atmosphere Stoke is a dump the stadium <laughs> has an open end of three of the four the yeah. Dave does say that about 50% of the grounds he goes to I That's think the dump. wind is a huge issue there it is a major it, issue you'll even hear it it's all, always picked up on our mics in the Britannia Stadium yeah. the wind is howling through the stadium it's a terrible place to go You don't want you. don't that's the week you want to be suspended or injured so yeah. you don't have to make the trip Everton but at the same well. time at the same time United shouldn't be relying on luck I mean David Moyes said we were unlucky I don't know how I don't know what we have to do to win games well you probably have to start playing a bit better and you have to start creating more chances and you have to keep a clean sheet they kept two clean sheets in the last 12 Premier League games meaning they have to score at least twice to win each of these matches and um, I just think that it, they have only themselves to blame. He can't be pointing at bad luck, referees' yeah. decisions. No, he's, in fairness, he's they, becoming they, they, a real whiny. They did play 45 minutes that game with a makeshift uh, shift defence. They had a lot of injuries, yeah. And they had 68% of the possession the look, in that game. The look he's talking about, like that Begovic save from Rooney free kick, that was as good a save as you're going to see mm-hmm. all season. And then you have Charlie Adam pulling out an absolute screamer out of nothing. Yeah. But how you often know, can you be unlucky though? But that, oh, on I, the face I get of it, you, that, day, get, that day, as a standalone in isolation, fair enough, luck was not with United last weekend. But where was the luck against West Brom, Southampton, Cardiff, Newcastle, Everton? Yeah. Oh no, it's true. And Moy seems to be saying after every game that they played well, even games they lose in, he's trying mm. to keep it, po- keep it upbeat and keep it positive. He must be under serious pressure. But I don't think there's any doubt he'll get the end of this season and he'll get plenty of money in summer. And if it's this time next year under in the same position, well then... You know, yeah, he's he'll, out be, the door. he'll be given to October, November. Yeah, lads. The big factor you've forgotten as well is like potential catalyst for United to get back a little bit of form is that Fellaini's back fit again this weekend. So oh well, yeah, you should have I said mean, that at the start. <laughs> I mean, because he's yeah, he's he could be the catalyst. Hang his on, wrist, hang on. No, in again. his defence, I've always been a fan of Fellaini, and when he took over or came to Everton first, he had an awful first season, and Evertonians were like, "Oh God, this lad like, spending fifteen million on this fella, he's he's useless." But he grew into the position, he's into the defensive midfield position. Then he was our player of the season, the following season, or maybe in his third season. Then he pushed up to kind of playing off the striker and he was excellent. So maybe His best he, period at Everton was offensive, wasn't it? Oh, he, he was our play, Everton's player of the season well, as a defensive Matt, midfielder. Matt, Matt Matt Matt's Matt's arrival isn't going to make his job any easier. No. Then. If he's better going forward... No, I no, I think, I think him and Carrick are, will be the first choice... Uh, two holding midfielders and then the three lads in front of him uh, Mata, in the team as well. and Rooney those and four together should be able to create a whole host of chances but lads, that's a good that's it. a good team now whether Moyes can coach these lads into playing the way he wants because Moyes never played that kind of 4-2-3-1 formation before maybe he's not capable of coaching them into playing that you know playing that system mm. uh, home win yeah, haven't said all that. Yeah, the, uh, the indignity of asking you about that one, and it's possibly as well a bit of chat this week that Rennie Mullenstein could be uh, nearing the all. I can't remember too many Premier League clubs that have sacked two managers in the space of two months. It well, in fairness, they never really should have employed the second one. As in Mullenstein, not not any, not not that they shouldn't have employed any manager. They just really shouldn't have employed Mullenstein. Well, if he doesn't, if he gets sacked, they can give the job to Ray Wilkins. If he gets sacked, they can get out. Herb 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 loads of backup plans, don't they? And they get Martin Yall back in. Mullenstein was saying during the week. I was reading. he was saying everybody, all this talk about Alan Kerbishley going to take my job Alan Kerbishley is past part of my playing staff if I go he goes uh, I'm pretty sure he won't <laughs> yeah. go if you go well, isn't, isn't that exactly what, how Mullenstein got the job to begin with yeah he came in as, as Yol's 
assistant, didn't he? He did indeed. Dave McIntyre, Colin Parkinson. Thanks, lads. Cheers, Adrian. Cheers, Adrian.